Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Nick's World of Sports. My name is Nick Sapola. Thank you for tuning in. We had a great episode planned for you today. We're going to be talking NFL Week 18. We're going to run through that. We're going to be debriefing a bit from the NFL season, talk a bit about what's next for some teams, playoff matchups. We'll get into that a bit today and Thursday for episode 50. We're also going to be talking, we're going to do some positional rankings. I've recently been working on a positional ranking list. I currently have done quarterback, halfback, wide receiver, and tight ends all across the National Football League. So I think we'll go through that today if there's time towards the end of the episode. We're also going to be talking about the biggest headline of the MLB offseason. It's not Aaron Judge. It's not Justin Verlander. It's not Trey Turner. And it is definitely not anyone else but Carlos Correa. The Correa saga appears to be officially over. We'll tell you about who he signed with, the contract, and more right now, actually. (laughs) Oh, boy. Carlos Correa is not going to be a Met. 19 days later, Carlos Correa is going to return to the Minnesota Twins on a six-year, $200 million contract where there is a chance it could become seven years with an extra 20 to $25 million in incentives where the deal could increase to around 240 That's absurd. The AAV on that is 33.3 per year. So that's a lot of money per year on 6 divided by 200 there, if I'm doing my math right. Yeah, 33.33 per year, roughly, is the AAV. I had Carlos Correa signing back with the Twins at 10 years, 30.5 per for an opt-out after year four. It's crazy. My top 50 list, I have two teams crossed out here for Carlos Correa. I had the Giants at 13 and 350, and the Mets with 12 and 315. I just don't understand this thing. Like, the Correa, like, how'd the Mets not get this deal done? It's beyond me. Like, there's a lot to be talked about with this. Correa is also going to be receiving a full no-trade clause in the deal, which is, I guess, big for the Twins. The Mets were willing to fully guarantee six years at 157.5, but the final six would have been only conditionally guaranteed, so Correa will make 42.5 more in the first six with the Twins. This is from John Heyman in the New York Post. The six years he's going to get with the Twins, everything's fully guaranteed. He'll get another $25 million with 502 plate appearances in year six, according to a source that told Ken Rosenthal and Fox and The Athletic. The total value can increase to $245 if he gets, eight, if he gets the eighth year. More details to come, and of course, it's pending a physical. However, the Twins are familiar with his physical. They have no issues with the plate in his ankle. It looks like Correa is going to be a Minnesota twin for the foreseeable future and maybe 
for the rest of his career. He won't become a free agent again until he's 34, I believe, if, the six, if it's just six years. That is a steal for the Minnesota Twins to get their guy back at that rate. Considering what the rate the New York Mets were willing to go for for 13 years, I mean, the AAV is a little bit more, but to secure Correa for only six, and maybe you know you don't have to worry about his regressions if he regresses, that's big. That's huge for the Minnesota Twins. We've never seen a free agency around one guy play out this way. We've never seen a guy agree to three different contracts and spurn two teams over medicals or any other reasons. We've never seen it in any sport. We've seen DeAndre Jordan agree to a deal with the Mavs, and then Chris Paul and Blake Griffin kind of locked him in the house and made him re-sign with the Clippers and go back on his word where he verbally agreed to a deal with the Mavs back in... Is that 2015? Yes? No? I don't even know. No one knows here. No one in the studio could tell me. But 2015, I believe, was that whole saga. It was in the middle of Lob City when it was at its height. I guess it was right after Vinny Del Negro and they first brought in the the human walking mediocrity and probably one of the worst coaches in basketball, in my opinion, and Doc Rivers. You could say I don't know ball, but tell me, what was the only time Doc won a ring? With the Celtics that one year in 08, I think, or 07, where they had a god squad. Besides that, Doc would not be a good head coach. Anyways, back to the topic on Carlos Correa. (laughs) Mets. The New York Mets. What happened? What happened? I can't stop laughing. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about... I'm just thinking about all the shit Mets fans are talking about. We have Correa now. We're the best team in baseball. We have the best infield in baseball. We are significantly better than anyone. We are winning 140 fucking games or whatever it was. I remember waking up to people bomb, like dropping bombs on me with Mets claims. I remember waking up, people saying, Carlos fucking Correa is a Met. He's a Met. Carlos Correa is a Met. The best fucking team in baseball. Well, Mets, I hate to say it, but this offseason's a bit of a failure for you guys now. Because I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to go scorched earth here. I'm going to be blunt. If this was my Yankees, if this was any other team, I would do it the same way. I don't hate the New York Mets at all. I've never hated them. In the words of Derek Jeter, they're just the Mets. However, their fans the last few years have grown insufferable. I hate this. throw another team of mine under the bus here, but they're the Dallas Cowboy fans of the MLB. Saying the four magic words that I've barred myself from saying until the end of the season. I won't say the four magic words until the end of the year, by the way. You can guess what it is. I'm not going to say him. But Mets fans have been saying that every single year since Steve Cohen bought the team. It wasn't in 2020. It wasn't in 2021. Sure as hell wasn't in 2022 after the way they fell apart at the end of the year. This year, it's the same fucking team. It's the same team. You can't tell me it's not. If anything, I think they got worse. 
Because let's be real. Jacob DeGrom, an off-injured superstar who looked like he was showing some form of staying healthy, leaves. Fine. He got the bigger deal in Texas. That's fine. But you bring in a 40-year-old for $44 million per year? Look, I get it. I know you can afford to pay guys short-term like that because Steve Cohen has money out the wazoo. But at the end of the day, this is a 40-year-old that is a year removed from a serious elbow surgery. And I think there's going to be a huge regression, if not this year, next year, for Justin Verlander. And you want to be owing him potentially even more through three years to the guy's 43? That's crazy talk. Especially with the major elbow injury. And that's something as you get older, it's easier to aggravate stuff like that. Then you have another guy, Scherzer, who's tied into a lot of money for at least one more year, who had an oblique problem. He was obviously hurt in the wild card series and didn't say anything because Max Scherzer's a hard ass. He's a hardo. He will go out there and just fucking pitch if his arm was falling off. In 2019, he pitched in the World Series after getting a quarter zone shot in his neck. He was traveling in a neck brace. And he could not lift his arm above his shoulder. His wife had to dress him for that game. And he pitched five to six innings of quality baseball. The injuries for Scherzer are getting alarming. But the rest of the rotation, I think, got worse. I personally prefer Chris Bassett over Jose Quintana and Kodai Senga just because Senga's a big question mark. He could be the next best Japanese pitcher, or he could turn into Hideki Irabu like that. Like that. Like, if the Japanese guys are so hard to project because, I mean, I get it. He dominated in the uh, Nippon professional baseball and guys that play there or in the KBO, they go and dominate. I get it, but it's just so hard to project them because they just get thrown straight into the majors. They don't get to go into the minor leagues. And Senga's 30. He's 30. They got him on a more team-friendly deal than I think other teams would have gotten him on. Like what other teams have to sign him, but I do think Senga is going to be good for the Mets. I don't think Quintana will be good for the Mets to lead innings, but he's not anyone I take seriously. And Cookie Carrasco is still there. That rotation is worse than last year because I think I know Bassett wasn't made for the bright lights in New York, but I still would have rather had him than Jose Quintana and Kodai Senga. I would take one of them and Bassett, but both of them over Bassett? No way. Walker leaving is fine, whatever. Losing to Grom's big. Nimmo on that kind of contract is a lot. It's a lot. And it was more the team needed him than the player needed the team. But the one that really is going to do me in now is you're going to have to roll with Eddie Escobar at third base to open the year, it looks like. And I know Mets fans are not happy with the fact that Eddie Escobar is going to be back at third. If not, they're going to turn to Brett Beatty, who is their top infield prospect. He will go to third base. He was hailed as the next David Wright. I'm a fan of Brett Beatty. I think he's going to be a very good pro. Will he be an all-star, a multi-time all-star? We don't know. Will he live up to the David Wright comparisons? I don't know. That's a problem with some of these prospects. You never know. He had a short stint in the majors where he looked solid, but I didn't think he was ready last year. I think they rushed him. 
They also have Marusio, who's going to be certainly starting the year up in Syracuse in AAA for them. He is a switch hitter who just won MVP of, I believe it was the Dominican Summer League. Kid can flat out rake. He can rake. And I'm telling you right now, that kid's going to be special. I know I said on a previous episode, if Correa signed, they could tell him, hey, go grab an outfield glove and go play corner. But now you can have him even potentially play second or third because he's a shortstop by trade, but he has the versatility to play all over the infield. The Mets found a good piece there with Mauricio. But now they look silly because they didn't go after J.D. Martinez because they thought they had Correa. They didn't go after another bat because they thought they had Correa. Who's going to DH for the New York Mets? They need a bat because there's guys on this team that just can't hit good pitching. I said earlier that I wasn't going to say bad things about Pete Alonso, but I'm going to say it right now. He is a merchant of shitty pitching. He does extremely well against shitty pitching, which, again, you should. If you're an elite hitter, you should. But he falters and folds under the pressure of good pitching. Domingo Herman made him look silly last year. Domingo Herman. He's not even going to start for the Yankees this year. He'll probably come out of the pen or be somewhere else starting. And that's no offense to Domingo. He had a nice year when he returned after the All-Star break. He had a pretty nice year, and people forget about that. He had a couple clunkers early on, but hey, he's going to be very good somewhere. Or I shouldn't say very good, but he'll be a good innings eater. He'll be a quality starter. And Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor had a hard time with him when they went to the Bronx. They had a hard time with Max Freed. They can't hit Max Freed. They can't hit Spencer Strider. They sure as hell can't hit Aaron Nola or Zach Wheeler, especially this year. They're not going to hit him. They're going to have a really tough time dealing with some of the elite relievers in that division, especially one Gregory Soto and Sir Anthony Dominguez. I think those guys are going to be electric. The Mets desperately needed Carlos Correa, especially for the bat. I would have done whatever he wanted besides, I mean, after the physical, I guess, you should have done the physical first, which is always the last thing that players want to do because they want the offer and the money and the security that they could get that. I would have done 10 at 285. I would have matched the Twins deal if I was the Mets because you need a, a proven clutch bat that can hit good pitching. The only Met in that order that hit good pitching all year was Jeff McNeil. And Jeff McNeil's about to walk after next year or in 2024, 2025. They're going to let him walk because of Mauricio if they don't trade him, which I think a lot of people would be fine with. But if you're telling me you're not going to add another bat this offseason now, it looks like they're done. That is a huge disappointment on the end of the New York Mets. I could say the same about the Yankees not securing a bat, not securing Benintendi, seeming like they're going to pass on Brian Reynolds, which I'm personally fine with. You could say that's a loss to the Yankees, but hey, the Yankees necessarily didn't get worse. They didn't lose a lot of pieces. They lost Matt Carpenter and Jamison Tyone. They turned Jamison Tyone into Carlos Rodon, which I'm not going to complain about that. Carlos Rodon's going to be a top five Cy Young finisher this year in baseball. Top, top eight, maybe, or top ten at worst. But he was just sixth, I think, in National League Cy Young voting, which is impressive. And then you have a cat like Garrett Cole, who I think is going to win the American League Cy Young. We'll get into my hot takes on that stuff later on on another episode. But the Correa deal has a lot of – it caused a lot of damage. Now two franchises are left with their – with the lack of a better word, with their redacteds out, their nuts out. 
blue-balled him. Let him on. They were led astray, hoodwinked, bamboozled the whole nine yards. They were catfished, both the Giants and the New York Mets. The Twins now have a promising team again. They got their guy back. They have their star they can build around. They have a couple promising pitchers in their system, especially some of the pieces they got back in the Burrios deal back in 2021. They got some good pieces. I just think the Correa thing is going to be crazy now that he's back in Minnesota. He obviously showed interest in wanting to stay there. When he originally agreed to the deal with the San Francisco Giants, he said that the second closest offer was the tw- he was really interested in the Twins and the Mets offer. He also was always interested in playing in the bright lights of New York City. He wanted to be a Yankee, but the Yankees obviously weren't going to bring him in with the quality and the caliber of shortstops that they have in their system with Oswald Peraza, Anthony Volpe, Trey Sweeney, and Roderick Arias as four of the best shortstops in their system and, well, four of the best shortstops, arguably, they're somewhere in that top 100 this year. I think Arias will probably have to move positions, but yeah, I think that's just it wasn't going to be a fit for Correa in pinstripes. We just got a little bit more clarification on the uh, Correa deal. As I'm sitting here in the studio, this is per Dan Haynes. Once the medicals are fa- finalized and the Twins are said to be comfortable with what they've already seen, the first $200 million of Carlos Correa's contract is fully guaranteed. The final four years have vesting amounts at 575, 550, 525, and 502 at bats. But even if it didn't vest, the Twins have team options. So where Carlos Correa not to reach 575 at bats in 2029. Oh my God, 2029. It wouldn't mean he just becomes a free agent. The Twins have a $25 million club option. If he can earn $20 million in 2030. 15 in 2031, and 10 in 2032. That's per Dan Haynes, the Twins writer at The Athletic, and he also claims to be a better Uber driver than Randy Dobnak, which I don't think is that hard. But regardless, I digress, and I think that you know the Twins obviously now have a great core with Correa. They keep Buxton... They got that fraudulent batting title guy, Mr. Sit out the last month of the season because Aaron Judge was catching him, Luis Arise. Fuck you, Luis Arise. And you also have Miranda's a very young, promising kid. They got some pieces over there in Minnesota. Minneapolis has some pieces. And I think they're going to be a team that oh, everyone's going to overlook the next couple years in the Central. But I would not be shocked if the Twins win the AL Central this year. It's really them and Cleveland. I don't think Detroit's going to be a factor. They're looking like they're starting to, you know, tear it apart a bit. And I also think that the White Sox are still a little fraudulent. They have a couple of breakout pieces and candidates, and they have some really good pitching. But losing Jose Abreu makes that team look a little more fake. Looks plastic. It's a facade. There's a lot more to be talked about, too, in baseball. We'll run through some quick signings. Brandon Belt signed a deal to be, I think it's one year, $8 million, if I'm not mistaken. He's going to be playing a backup role 
to Vladimir Guerrero. He might get some regular at-bats, though, playing first base just because Guerrero might move to the DH spot. He's not the greatest defender in the world. He's sure as hell a lot better at first base than he was at the hot corner when he was trying to be a third baseman. We also have uh, Johnny Cueto this morning agreed to a one-year deal with a team option to go play for the Miami Marlins. So pitching just gets better down there. I love that signing for the Marlins. It means, though, that they're going to have to trade an arm for a bat, and I think they're willing to. They have an elite rotation already, which I think, according to Sports Illustrated, is currently projecting to be Sandy Alcantara, the defending Cy Young Award winner, who I think is going to repeat, Pablo Lopez, Jesus Luzardo, Trevor Rogers, and now the next ageless wonder, and if he does well enough towards the end of his career where he can get his war a little bit higher, potential Hall of Famer, Johnny Cueto. If he can get his war up a bit and kind of just solidify it, he's been a solid pitcher, and I think there's a case to be made for Cueto in the Hall if it happens. Also, he lost a lot of time to injury, but he could be the next ageless wonder. He could be the next Verlander and Scherzer pitching well deep into their 30s. That leaves Edward Cabrera, Braxton Garrett, top pitching prospect Max Mayer, and the flame-throwing former number one prospect who's been dealing with some injuries in the last few years, Sixto Sanchez, all like kind of vying for a rotation spot. I think a guy like Lopez or Rogers will be potential trade bait, and they can get a couple good bats for it. Like I know I said the Yankees in the past should have done, should have did the Lopez deal where they gave up. Glaber, but not Peraza, because they would have got back Miguel Rojas. I think I would have done something like Sweeney and Torres for that. I like Pablo Lopez a lot, and he's a good left-handed arm. I mean, the Yankees are no longer going to be interested, but there's definitely going to be a bunch of teams lining up looking for pitching. I'm looking at the Twins, the Cardinals. I think the Padres, I can never rule out of making a crazy deal. I could also see the, the Red Sox, the Dodgers. All those teams going out and getting an arm from Miami. I think Miami just desperately needs a professional level bat. Like a, uh, I think I could see them going out and trading for someone like a, uh, I don't know, an Alex Verdugo type. If Verdugo can refine his form, Verdugo. Excuse me, I said Verdugo, didn't I? But those kind of guys, I think, are realistic for the Marlins. Someone that could provide some. You know, stability at the bat. Pair well nicely with Segura and Chisholm. Just need someone to hit because the pitching's there. And the bullpen potentially is there. You could even move 6-0 into the pen and he'd be dynamite out of there because his stuff is just electric. Same with Edward Cabrera, but Cabrera projects better as a starter, and I think Sanchez is going to be a starter in this league for a while. Let's, uh, let's jump away from baseball now. We're going to talk some NFL. We're, football is finally over the regular season. We're going to have to say happy trails to a few things, unfortunately. Uh, happy trails, first off, to one of the greatest defensive linemen to ever grace the field. Happy trails to J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt was one of my favorite players of all time, especially defensively. I love J.J. Watt's game. He was one of the best to do it, one of the best people on and off the field. And it's just a shame to see him go at the age of 33, but he knew it was time. His body obviously has not been the same. He's had plenty of big injuries. He's had pec problems. He's torn his pec a couple of times. 
think he has a rib injury as well that's been pretty significant. He's been getting banged up, but he still can go get it. He had two sacks in his last game. He can go get it with the best. But salute to you, JJ. Enjoy retirement. If the Steelers come calling for a reunion at some point in the future, we might see it. But until then, JJ, best of luck to you in all your future endeavors, and we wish you nothing but great health, and we wish your family, of course, great health as well. Happy trails to my king, Scott Hansen, over at Red Zone. We won't be seeing his beautiful face again until next September. And, you know, that makes me sad. I love NFL Red Zone. It's one of the best things you could ever have. Scott Hansen also is very good at his job. I aspire to have a job like Scott Hansen. Hey, Major Leagues, if you want to do something like scoring position type thing where they got runners in scoring position and you cut to games like that every night, that's a money-making opportunity right there. Why don't you have me do something like that? Like, I don't know. Because MLB already has their live game packages with, uh, I think it's MLB at bat. Why don't we do, like, MLB scoring chances or something like that? There's got to be a different term for red zone. MLB RISP. That would be a cool idea. Right? I mean, it sounds a little crazy, and I don't think a lot of people would tune into it like that, but that'd be cool. Anyways, Scott Hansen. I love you, dude. You're the man. We also get to say happy trails after this week to Monday Night Football. We have one Monday Night Football. Regular season Monday Night Football ended last week with the DeMar Hamlin thing. But it will get its redemption in Tampa Bay where Tom Brady and the lowly Buccaneers welcome in the five-seeded Dallas Cowboys who just got punched in the mouth this week. I'll be talking about that later. I'm still trying to get tickets to go down Monday. My parents are currently about two hours away from the stadium, and they're going to be there for a little bit. And I've been trying to get tickets to go down. The prices have been looking kind of fair, and I have the money to go do it. I just won my $1,000 in a fantasy football league, and I got money to you know, I got money to spend. But I don't think it's for the right cause right now. I think that... It's a bit far-fetched at this point that I'm going to make it down there. But still, Monday Night Football will get to see its final game next, or this upcoming Monday. Regardless, that's pretty much it for, I guess, my happy trails. It was sad seeing J.J. Watt leave the field and cry. So the playoffs are set. The AFC was set. At one o'clock, or after the one o'clock games, where the Miami Dolphins and Skylar Thompson, of all people, beat the New York Jets by a score of eleven to six. It was really nine to six, but they got two points off a of safety at the end of the game, which a lot of people forget about. In this one, it was there was not a lot really to be discussed. It was not a pretty game. Tyree Kill rolled his ankle in this one. And he missed a lot of time. Jason Sanders kicked three field goals in this one. Two 37-yarders and a 50-yarder. Greg Zerline hit a 32 and a 35-yarder. 
Sanders gave the Dolphins a 6-9 lead with 18 seconds left. Then Elijah Moore fumbled out of bounds in the end zone for a safety, giving the Miami Dolphins a 11-6 win. No touchdowns in this one. And it's just been a rough, rough year for the Jets. A rough close to the year. The Dolphins had a great start and a rough close. They'll be taking on the Bills up in Buffalo. If two is healthy, he gets his revenge in Buffalo or his chance at revenge. But the Miami Dolphins, without a doubt, cleared up any other playoff doubts. They win. The Patriots lose to the Bills 23-35 to in a surprisingly close game for a while. Miami Dolphins, congratulations, you're back in the playoffs. I predicted them to make the playoffs. I predicted them to be a little bit better than they were. And I thought they maybe had a shot at the division. But Mike McDaniel in his first year gets it done. Good job, Miami. I'll be rooting for you guys. But I don't know if you're going to get it done up in Highmark Stadium. Speaking of Highmark Stadium, Buffalo Bills had a fairy tale game. In the DeMar Ham- in the for DeMar Hamlin game, they eliminate their bitter rival New England Patriots. The Patriots have a losing season at 8 and 9 and they win the Bills 35 to 23 to secure the number 2 seed. Where if they played Kansas City in the playoffs, there will be a coin flip deciding another coin flip. There'll be a neutral site for the game. Notable performance in this, the performances in this one. Josh Allen was 19 of 31 for 254 and three touchdowns. Mac Jones had one of his best games despite throwing three interceptions. He had three touchdowns for 243 yards. Stephon Diggs had 104 receiving yards and a touchdown. And Devontae Parker finishes his season with a bang. Six receptions, 79 yards, and two touchdowns for the former Louis, Louisville. I almost said Louisiana. Louisville standout who was just traded up there from the Dolphins. The Bills had a lot of help in this one. A lot of threes and stuff involved. I don't want to get into all the threes. I'm just happy that I heard the news that DeMar Hamlin came home and he's released from the hospital. I'm so happy to hear that. Hey, maybe we see him in the playoffs somehow, but I doubt it. I think we'll see Hamlin sometime next year if he wants to continue playing football, but I don't blame him if he just wants to step aside, take the pads off, and you know, just do something else. He obviously now can market himself a bit better, but or he now has like the name recognition, so someone will probably hire him. Naheem Hines was the player of the game for Buffalo in this one. Two touchdowns on kickoffs. Took the opening kickoff 96 yards for a touchdown. And then after a Nick Folk field goal in the third quarter that gave New England a 17-14 lead, we see Naheem Hines, the pride of North Carolina State, scampering down the sideline again. For a 101-yard kick return touchdown to make it 21-17. And as a lead, Buffalo never surrendered. John Brown gets on the board with his first touchdown of the year. Does a funky dance as well. 42 yards from Josh Allen to make it 28-17. And then Stephon Diggs caught a 49-yard touchdown pass from Josh Allen to make it 35-23 where the final stands. In betting circumstances, I want to give us personal fuck you to Gabe Davis dropping that touchdown. I had Josh Allen over in yards, and I would have won a lot of money 
if Josh Allen over in yards would have hit. Josh Allen missed over in yards by five yards. And I hit you in your bread basket. Catch the ball! You overrated bum! All right, enough of that. Enough of that. We talked about the, t- the Jaguars beating the Titans on a prior episode. The Chiefs beat up on the Raiders. Uh, not much to really talk about there. Oh, breaking news. Baseball. Uh, Trevor Story went under UCL surgery with an internal brace on his right elbow. In other words, modified Tommy John surgery with a quicker return date. Generally speaking, players miss four to six months following the surgery. Another passing bomb here. 2.56 p.m. I'm reading this. Wow. Hey, what's that Heyman tweet? What's that Heyman tweet I see? Oh, okay. So we talked about the Korea thing. All right, never mind. I'm, I'm just goofing off right now. Like I said, we talked about Titans and Jags. We'll talk about Story later. Trevor Story is probably going to miss a significant amount of time. Not good for the Bo Sox. Trevor Lawrence guided the Titans, not Titans, the Jaguars over the Titans. We talked about Mahomes securing the MVP. He beats up on the Raiders, 31-13. Funkiest thing I ever saw, too, with them all doing like the ring around the rosy in the huddle. They all of a sudden run some whack play where Jarek McKinnon pitches it to Patty Mahomes, who threw it to... Young Joker for a touchdown. The Falcons hand Tom Brady his first losing season. They go 8-9 and nine, the Buccaneers as they lose to the Falcons, 30-17. to 17. Desmond Ritter had two touchdown passes. He looked pretty solid. Tyler Algier had 135 yards on the ground. Drake London, six receptions, 120. My projected offensive rookie of the year finishes off with 866 yards receiving four touchdowns and three fumbles. Yikes. I do think that Drake London will have a big year next year. Don't sleep. I also think the Falcons are going to have a good year next year in that division. Don't sleep. The Vikings take care of the Bears. 29-13 to 13 in this one. Kirk Cousins does the bare minimum. K.J. Osborne over 100 yards, 117 yards on five receptions. Alexander Madison, two touchdowns. And Justin Jefferson does not get to Calvin Johnson's record like I thought he would. Damn shame, but Justin Jefferson is the best receiver in football regardless. Hell of a year from Jay Jettas, and I expect a lot from him in the future. Speaking of the Bears, with that loss, they had a chance to clinch the number one draft pick. And they get it. Jeff Saturday's Colts lose out. And they lose to the Houston Texans 32-31 to in the most Mickey Mouse game I have ever watched or seen. I kept getting the updates from Red Zone. I didn't have this game on. You'd think I'd be crazy to be watching this game. I thought for sure the Texans were going to get the number one pick. They had everything that showed it. Davis Mills has one of his better games as a pro. 22 of 38, 298 yards, three touchdowns, two picks. Slinging Sammy Ellinger, 23 of 39, 209, two touchdowns, and two picks. Not good. 
Zach Moss had his best game as a pro on the ground with 18 carries, 114 yards, and one touchdown. That's better than Jonathan Taylor. Fuck you, Jonathan Taylor. Bum. I shouldn't say F you, but bum. You've been a bum this year. Rebound, or I'm going to be calling you even worse than bum. I'm also saying that out of pure anger because I had him in fantasy football. But, again, Jonathan Taylor is overrated. Brandon Cooks had a 100-yard receiving game and a touchdown. He'll be looking for other employment this offseason. He's, be he's either going to be begging to be traded or he'll be cut. The Texans, who desperately needed that first overall pick, don't get it. However, they have the number two pick, and they're, unless someone leapfrogs the Bears, they will be getting their quarterback in Bryce Young. They might actually get spooked up and trade a spot for it. Who knows? Chris Ballard, after the game, said he failed as a GM, and he pointed to the QB instability. There was a problem with the QB. Matt Ryan is probably done in the NFL. And that pains me to say that because I love Matt Ryan. I do. That's my guilty pleasure, I think, is Matt Ryan as a quarterback. Panthers beat the Saints 10-7 to in the final game of the year. A nice little send-off. The Panthers' only touchdown of the game was scored by offensive lineman Michael Jordan recovering a fumble in the end zone. That's a fun little thing. He found out that LeBron was going to pass Kareem at all-time scoring. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to beat LeBron in all-time touchdowns. Go figure. <laughs> Somehow Mike Tomlin keeps his winning season streak alive and the Steelers beat up on the Browns who tried to force their way into a pit, into Pittsburgh, but they, unfortunately for them, they don't. Najee Harris finishes the year with a 84-yard game and one touchdown. For the season, Najee Harris had 1,038 yards on 3.8 yards per carry. I still think Sal Sapola, my father, my 62-year-old father, could hit the hole better than Najee Harris and average four yards a carry. Not a good year for Najee, who, honestly, I thought could have been better. I think he had, what, an 1,100-yard year last year, Najee? But he also had the fifth most attempts and the 14th most rushing yards. Good Lord, dude. Let's move on to the 4 o'clock games. Giants lose to the Eagles. Davis Webb was Davis Webb. I mean, there wasn't much to expect from that. He didn't look terrible, but he didn't look great. We did have a Kenny Galladay touchdown reception. So Kenny Galladay might be on the comeback. Ah, I'm just kidding. Kenny Galladay's not doing shit. $72 million for one touchdown over two years. Dave Gettleman, mastery. Masterclass move by David Gettleman. Jalen Hurts returns in this one for to throw for 229 yards and one interception. The Eagles secure the one seed and the NFC East with this victory. Fuck my life. I still think that they're not going to do much, but hey, a win's a win, and they get the number one seed despite struggling like down the stretch and with Jalen Hurts getting injured and looking human. Very human. The Broncos beat the Chargers. The Chargers, for some reason, played their starters for a long period of time. Then Mike Will got hurt. And then after Mike Will got hurt, they kept their starters in for a bit. And then all of a sudden, they turned to Chase Daniel down the stretch, who actually didn't do terrible. They trailed for most of this one, the Chargers. Keenan Allen had two touchdowns. 
Russell Wilson continues to play well towards the end of the year, throwing for 283 yards and three touchdowns. Jerry Judy had 154 yards receiving, doing his last game special. Cortland Sutton had a touchdown. Latavius Murray had 15 carries for 103 and a touchdown, proving he can still play with some of the best of them. It's kind of crazy. I'm going to move on to a game that I didn't want to talk about. And I'm in shock with it. The Dallas Cowboys lose on the road against Sam Howell and the God flipping dang Washington Commanders. They lose 26 to 6. What? What? Dak Prescott, 14 of 37. Less than 40% of his passes were completed. 128 yards, one damn touchdown, and an interception. What? What the hell was that? You got outplayed by Sam freaking Howell. A dude who played quarterback at a basketball school. What in the sand hell was that? Dog shit. When it came down to carries and rushing, Malik Davis was the leading rusher in this one. Five carries for ninety for 19 yards. The longest run of the day was Dak Prescott on a nine-yard scamper. Zeke Elliott finishes with eight carries for 10 yards. Against Washington! Without Jonathan Allen! What the hell was that? Jarrett Patterson and Sam Howell separately had more rushing yards than the entire Cowboy offense. Not the whole Cow offense, but then any, or Sam Howell had more than every other individual if he went against one-on-one. -on -one. Jarrett Patterson had more rushing yards the entire, than the entire Cowboys offense combined. Terry Mick overrated. Three catches, 74 yards, and caught a touchdown on his first reception of the game. CeeDee Lamb was, had five receptions for 52 and a touchdown. So CeeDee had a nice day, too. The only Cowboy, I think, that had a nice day. Jahan Dotson, three for 72 and 24-yard average. I don't get it. Kevontae Turpin fumbled again. Just a weird game from the Cowboys. They were also playing a lot of random guys that haven't played a lot. I'm trying to find who I'm thinking of here. There was someone that... Oh. Here it is. Trayvon Mullen, former Raiders cast-off, was getting significant playing time at the cornerback position. Granted, this game didn't mean too much at the end of the day, so I'm overreacting for nothing. But you're telling me if this guy, Trayvon Mullen, is going to be playing in a playoff game? We're fucked. The Cowboys are fucked. I'm going to go scorched earth a bit here. This is a team without any good cornerback play outside of Diggs and Deron Bland. Nashawn Wright's serviceable, and he's not bad. But we're down Jordan Lewis, who's a very solid cornerback in this league.
can get can force some turnovers. He won't win you games, but he won't lose you games. He doesn't get penalized a lot. Jordan Lewis is a very serviceable, sturdy second cornerback in this league. Can play the slot and can play outside. Anthony Brown being gone, despite his one or two fuck-ups in big games per... He fucks up in a couple big games a year. And they always come at the worst moments, so he's always under a microscope. But he's still serviceable as a cornerback in this league. He was a late-round draft pick, and he is a valuable starter for the Dallas Cowboys. We have a nice find here in our guy. Uh, what's his name? Deron Bland. But you can't be forcing out. Like, we can't be playing. Damone Clark. We just signed Xavier Rhodes. I know he didn't play in this one, but he's better play next week. That's really it. Terrible way for the Cowboys to end their year. And they look to bounce back big time against Tampa Bay, who embarrassed them on Monday night or Sunday night earlier in the year where Dak broke his finger. I think the Cowboys are going to be ready for it. I have one more grievance I want to get out of the way. Noah Brown cannot get six targets in a playoff game. None of that shit. Michael Gallup can get six targets, fine. Dalton Schultz got nine targets. He's a tight end. That's acceptable. CeeDee Lamb only has seven targets. Force the kid the ball! He's an all-pro caliber wide receiver. He has the tools to be all-pro. He is a beast. Give him the ball! Holy shit, is it that hard? It's not! Noah Brown, if you are getting ten, 6 to 10 targets a game come this playoff run, I'm going to be pissed. Why the hell didn't we go get Odell then? Why is T.Y. Hilton here then? Only getting 4 targets. And T.Y. Hilton's looked pretty good. And that signing's been looking pretty nice for Jerry Boy so far. I still think T.Y. Hilton can play. You might be a guy I'd even say, you know what? If you want to go get receiver depth and you don't feel like paying Odell, bring T.Y. back next year. I'd be very happy. Gallup's still dealing with, obviously, side effects from the injury, but still no excuses. You got to be better, Michael Gallup. Kevonte Turpin, if you fucking fumble one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. You're a Pro Bowl returner, TCU's finest. Don't do something stupid this week. Don't do something stupid in the playoff game. Just get the ball, and if you see a hole, take it. Don't drop another freaking punt. That's all we ask. Dak's got to be better, too. Dak, that was a horrible way to close your season out. I still argue you're a top 10 quarterback this year, but that doesn't help your case. That doesn't help my case. I just want to see you play better. That's it. I didn't want to talk about it, but I wanted to rant a bit just because it's my team. And I've blown up with other teams, too. The Niners beat up on the Cardinals. Brock Purdy is still undefeated. Slings three touchdowns. A.J. Green had a nice deep touchdown catch from David Blau early, but that was really it for the cards. J.J. Watt got a nice little standing ovation with two minutes left in the game where he cried and was saying his farewells. I felt bad. Gonna miss J.J. Watt. Gonna miss him. Cardinals, 
you're fucked. I don't know how to say it. Cliff Kingsbury kicked to the curb after after becoming the third most winningest coach in team history somehow. Head scratcher, but he's going to be looking for an OC job probably. He's not cut out to be a head coach. Niners, two seed. Congrats. The Rams and Cheesecake Factory enthusiast Baker Mayfield nearly pulled off an upset, but the Seahawks win to keep their playoff hopes alive. They win 19-16 in overtime. They almost had a game-winning field goal due to Jalen Ramsey's idiocy of hitting Geno Smith when he was clearly out of bounds. Geno ball continues, and Geno's going to be going to the postseason for the first time in his career. Hell yes. Sign me up for Geno ball in the playoffs. K9 had a nice day too. 29 carries for 114. My projected offensive rookie of the year finishes the year with 1,050 rushing yards. K9, offensive rookie of the year. Lock it in. I do like Garrett Wilson for the award too. And Christian Watson's an outside case for it. But I'm locking it in right now. Kenneth Walker, this is the third. K9 is the offensive rookie of the year in the NFL. He's a beast. Baker Mayfield threw a deep ball that he, if he just slung it instead of putting too much air under it, probably would have set up a Rams touchdown to win the game. But, I don't know, something in the distance kind of distracted Baker and he threw, he kind of put too much air under it, allowing Quadre Diggs to pick it, which then set up a game-winning field goal from Jason Myers, who redeems himself after he donked one off the post right at the end of regulation. And last but certainly not least, the Detroit Lions did the unthinkable. They eliminated and potentially retired Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau in the final game of the regular season, winning 20-16. to Jared Goff had a big game. Jamal Williams passes Barry Sanders for the most touchdowns scored in a single season for the Lions. And they get the job done against those Packers, sweeping them in the season series. 20-16, to 16, the Lions miss out in the playoffs because of the Seahawks winning. I think it's a strength of schedule thing they get in on. Lions first team out. Packers go home empty. Where they just needed to win and be in. The Packers were up 9-3. to three. They just couldn't score. They were up a little bit too when Alan Lazard scored a touchdown. They went back up, I think it was 16-13. to 13. But then Jared Goff led a big drive, got in the end zone. Aaron Rodgers threw an ugly interception where he underthrew a deep streaking, I think it was Christian Watson. And then Jared Goff and Amon Ra St. Brown connect on one of the coolest catches I've ever seen where Amon Ra kind of caught it in his lap and never let the ball touch the ground. Goff on fourth and two with balls of steel, Goes for it and finds an open receiver to seal the game. And the Lions win. They win. They're 9-8. and eight. They have a winning record. Dan Campbell goes home happy. And the Lions now have something that they haven't had in a long time. It's called expectations for next year. I'm very happy with this. And I'm very happy to say that the Detroit Lions are looking like a playoff team next year. And if it wasn't for that costly loss that they had against the Panthers, 
they'd be in the playoffs right now. And they are also better than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as a lot of these teams that I mentioned are better than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Whoop-dee-doo. So with that, the Seahawks slide into the seventh seed. Congratulations. Here's your free loss to the 49ers. They will lose to the 49ers badly. But, hey, it's an extra week of football for the Seattle Seahawks. Geno Ball, the comeback player of the year, easily is Geno Smith. God is good to him. And God has been good to the for, to the 49ers and the Seahawks this year. Very good to them. I'm very happy for the Seattle Seahawks, too. I wanted to see them go far, especially after the rush trade. That's looking like a fleece. Although I do think a lot of it is coaching issues with the uh, the Broncos, but I don't know. The playoffs, we have a uh, super wildcard weekend coming up. We'll have two games. Or no, what the hell? Two games Saturday. No, what the heck? This is weird. I hate the scheduling. Oh, yeah, no, I'm right. Two games Saturday. Two on Sunday. And we got this Mickey Mouse Monday night game that they're doing just to milk out some some more money from the fans and the league. They're, mil- they're milking some money. They got to get rid of the seven seed or just do eight seeds, make it even. I hate that only one team gets buys. I hate this Mickey Mouse freaking seven seed Mickey Mouse token Monday night game. I hate it. I hate it. I mean, it's good for ESPN and the ratings and ABC. And, I mean, yeah, it gets the fans more interested. But I hate that there's six games where it used to be four and you can just do Saturday, Sunday. Regardless, the Seahawks open up the postseason at 4.30 p.m. on Saturday against the San Francisco 49ers. They will travel to Santa Clara to take on the Santa Clara Niners. That'll be... I think a fun one to watch. A lot closer than people would think it would be, but it'll be fun. It'll be a fun game to see. Next up, we will have Miami. Not Miami. Next up, we will have the 5v4 game. The Los Angeles Chargers travel to Duval and take on the Jacksonville Jaguars, who finished the year 9-8. and eight. That's going to be a fun one, I think, just because two young quarterbacks, Herbert v. Lawrence. It's going to be a lot of fun. Mike Williams is questionable for this one, but I think he'll play. It's a playoff game. Mike Will is going to show up. That's one of my favorite players in the league right now. Hey, this is going to be a fun game to watch. That's a really fun one. I have that one circled as a fun game. Sunday kicking it off will be Miami and Buffalo in Buffalo. I think Tua is going to play in this one. It's looking like there's a chance he gets out of protocol. So if anyone but Tua is starting for the Dolphins, it's game over. That's the only way Buff, uh, Miami has a chance to beat Buffalo and Buffalo is if Tua plays. The 4.30 game on Sunday will be treated to a rematch. Giants at Vikings, 4.30 Eastern. That's a fun game. I- I'm actually looking forward to that one a lot. I'm really excited for that. To my buddy Mike out there, Skull, to all my Giants fans out there, G-Men, I don't know what else they say. The Sunday night game. There's another one I have circled. 
Baltimore and Cincinnati. I didn't cover the Cincinnati game in my last segment. I did that on purpose because they blew. There's no way they were going to lose last week to Anthony Brown, the Oklahoma, Oklahoma, the Oregon guy that can't throw the ball. It's not Boston College anymore, Anthony. It's the NFL. Moving on from that, but I think the Bengals will absolutely obliterate the Ravens. Lamar Jackson, if you don't play, don't expect a bag. Your time might be done in Baltimore. You will not get a contract if you're sitting on the bench half the freaking time. This isn't baseball or basketball where you can miss time and it's no big deal in the regular season. This is the NFL, and you're playing the most important position on the field. Prove that you're valuable. You don't play, you don't get paid at the end of the day. You won't get that huge contract that you want. Final story. End of story. That's final. I don't want to hear, pay the man, pay the man, pay the man, especially if he doesn't suit up for a playoff game. Terrell Owens played in the Super Bowl on a broken freaking ankle with screws in it. I don't even like the Eagles. I'm a T.O. guy. I don't necessarily say play hurt. But if you want that contract that you're talking about and you're just sitting out at this point, you don't deserve a dime. I wouldn't touch you with a 10-foot pole if I was a general manager. I don't want to get stuck into an albatross contract for the next Cam Newton. I've defended Lamar. I'm done defending him. He is not a winning quarterback in this league as long as he continues to get injured and then miss weeks at a time and go vanish, costing his team seeding and also costing his team chances to win in the playoffs with this team. My God, I'm sorry. And to close it out, Monday night, potentially Brady's last game and it's most likely his last home game. Brady will be posting the Dallas Cowboys. Third time in two years, the Cowboys will get their rematch against Tom Brady and the Bucks. How will it play out? I don't know. We'll see. There's a lot riding on these playoff games. Predictions? I'll go quick. Give me the Niners over the Seahawks by a field goal. I think this is going to be decided by a field goal this game. It's going to be a lot closer than people want it to be. The Jacksonville Jaguars will upset the Los Angeles Chargers, who might be the favorites actually in this one. But Trevor Lawrence gets the Jags into the divisional round, keeping a Cinderella story alive. Because Brandon Staley doesn't know how to coach also. The Buffalo Bills will beat the Miami Dolphins, but once again, this game will probably be close. The Giants and Vikings game is a little bit more of a, uh, a wild card, no pun intended, as a lot can happen in this one, and it could go either way. It's either going to be a Giants blowout or a Vikings blowout. 
They're playing at 4.30, so I don't know if primetime Kirk will show up. But I think the Giants hold their own in this one, and I think they could pull out a victory here. There's a chance they pull out a victory, and I think the Giants could win this one. I think I would pick. If I was a gambling guy, I would take the Giants to cover. But I think the Giants could realistically win. It's not out of their own possibility. Depends on what kind of Kirk Cousins shows up. If normal 430 Kirk Cousins shows up, give me the Giants. If Kirk Cousins comes out slinging on the first drive, give me the Vikings. That's how I'm going to play that. The Ravens will lose in hilarious fashion to the Cincinnati Bengals. They will be laughed off of national television. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, that's all it is that's going to beat them. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, that's the winning formula. Finally, the Cowboys at Tampa. I think it's best I don't talk about this one. I think it's best for me, as a fan of this team, to shut my fucking mouth. I'll be quiet on the Dallas Cowboys until next week. I'll reevaluate my favorite team. And then we'll talk about what my prediction is, because I don't want to put it set in stone. I don't want to jinx them, knock on wood. But to say they have a shot is an understatement. I think this is going to be a very winnable game for them. But you never know. Knock on wood. And that's going to do it here for us today. A little over an hour in the studio. What to expect with episode 50? Episode 50, we will be discussing the top 30 quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends in the NFL this past year. My award picks. We'll talk more baseball. We'll get into some more season previews in baseball. I might start doing previews by each division on Thursdays for the rest of the year or until baseball season starts. And we'll be doing a lot more on this podcast. Shout out to everyone that made it to the end. You guys are truly beasts. You're cool. You're awesome. I owe you a cookie, I guess. I don't know. If you made it this far, thank you. I mean it. You guys mean a lot to me. You guys are real fans. We'll be back in the studio Thursday, the episode will be out probably sometime around 6. This episode is still unsponsored. I'm still looking for some sponsors. That'd be cool. I do want to give a special shout-out to Sleepy Boy Track Club as they continue to hook us up with some fire merch. You can go into Smithtown or Sable Running Company and ask for Mike or Ryan about Sleepy Boy Track and Field merch. That's going to do it for us here at Studio 38. Thank you for tuning in as always, and I will see you next time on Nick's World of Sports. Peace out, everyone.